How many uh, parents do we have here this morning? How many would agree with me, parents, that uh, discipline is a good and necessary thing? If we understand that in, in the context of our homes and more particularly with our kids, would you agree with me also that personal discipline is necessary in our life? We understand the value of discipline. We understand the value of structure, of order, of having a path to go on that is an orderly path. Uh, We live disciplined lives. We understand those things in temporal terms and just in this, in in terms of our, 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 just our natural life. Should not that also speak to our spiritual life? The Bible talks about a number of what we can call spiritual disciplines. Jesus, more particularly, identifies three in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. He talks about the discipline of giving. He talks about the discipline of prayer. He talks about the discipline of fasting. Those were prominent practices in Israel, both in ancient Israel and in the first century. But uh, they had lost their meaning and had uh, been reduced simply to pious religious rituals. And, but Jesus, interestingly, singles out those three disciplines as significant to the life of a person who believes in, trusts in, worships, walks with, follows God. More particularly, fasting. And I want to talk to you this morning about that spiritual discipline of fasting, uh, not often practiced Today, among uh, contemporary Christians, uh, there was a season in the life of our church where we were uh, very serious about these disciplines, and more particularly also the discipline of fasting. Uh, And we, too, have gotten away from that, uh, unfortunately. I think not only congregationally, but individually, uh, fasting, probably, we should re-engage that, we should rethink that, and maybe reinstitute it in our lives, certainly if not congregationally, uh, individually. And as I talk with you this morning about this discipline, try to help you better understand it, the purpose for it, the effects of it, um, that uh, we'll come to some conclusions that this is a very, very worthwhile spiritual discipline. We would agree that reading our Bibles is a good discipline, right? Uh, We would agree that prayer is a good spiritual discipline. Is that true? And we can go down the list. There are any number of disciplines, but... Fasting is a very, very uh, interesting and uh, important spiritual discipline. To fast, and I think most of us have some basic understanding of it, is simply to abstain for a limited period of time uh, from any kind of food, whether that food be solid food or liquid food. People have asked me, well, can we drink water during a fast? Yes, but don't drink too much water. You'll float away. (laughs) Drink a moderate amount of water. A fast also could include denying yourself just certain pleasures, certain comforts. Maybe you like to watch sports, and so rather than watching sports on TV, you'll fast from that. Uh, but, but the essence of it is really is fasting classically has to deal with uh, 
denying yourself food. It is a voluntary thing. God doesn't require it. If you recall, um, last week we, we studied uh, a third in the series of the, the offerings that the Lord had prescribed for Israel. Does anybody remember the offering we studied last week? Cindy, what was it? Do you remember? The peace offering or the fellowship offering. Either, either term could be used to describe that particular offering. That was a, that was a voluntary offering. It wasn't required uh, like the burnt offering. It wasn't required uh, like the, uh, uh, the grain offering and such. Uh, this was a voluntary offering. And the, the point of that offering, if you recall, if, a, if an Israelite, based on his reconciliation with God through the burnt offering and his expression of his joy over that reconciliation through that grain offering, if he wanted to have experience ongoing peace of God in his life, if he wanted to have a closer fellowship with God, then God prescribed, this is how you do it, through bringing this voluntary offering. So much like that offering, that fellowship offering, fasting is kind of an expression of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it is a voluntary thing. God doesn't require us to fast. He doesn't demand it. And it simply is a voluntary denial of an otherwise very normal function for the sake of, now note this please, for the sake of intense spiritual activity. That's the key. Why am I doing this? Because I want to devote myself for a time, for a period, be it, be it a, a 24-hour period, be it a, a three-day period, be it a week. Some people fasted longer. I want to devote myself uh, to intense spiritual activity. Fasting simply is an act of self-discipline for spiritual purposes. Fasting is not, and and let me clear this up right from the get-go, fasting is not a spiritual hunger strike. I'm going to protest something. Fasting is not a manipulative device. I'm going to do this and say, now God's obligated to do something back. It's a quid pro quo. Fasting is not a form of dieting. Although some of us may hope to lose a little bit of weight, it's just going to come on the next day, right? Why should I fast? What am I going to get out of it? That really is kind of a bottom line question that most of us would consider. Why why should I do this? Let me suggest to you that the best fast... The best fast is the one in which there is no ulterior motive. Simply, God, I'm going to fast unto you. I want to read to you from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years. Now, a little background. The Israelites had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Actually, from the the tribe of Judah, they were in captivity for 70 years for their willful idolatry and disobedience. God just spanked them, took them to Babylon. 
And uh, they wanted to come home. God promised them they would come home. But while they were in Babylon in captivity, their religious expressions, their spiritual expressions, uh, were not motivated necessarily by a desire for God as much as they were motivated by a desire for themselves. Does that sound vaguely familiar? We are not much different from the Israelites in that sense, are we? So God goes on and he says, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, now note this, was it really for me that you fasted? Was it for me that you fasted? That's the question God would ask. If we are going to fast, let's not have any ulterior motive. Let's just simply seek God. Seek God. Lord, I'm going to fast unto you. Joel, the prophet Joel, echoes that sentiment. He says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So in that complex of, of, of dynamics, he includes fasting as an expression of returning to him. You see, it's all about him. Is this new to anybody? It's all about God, isn't it? He is a jealous God, isn't he? He, he is jealous for us. He wants relationship with us. And one of the mechanisms that he has given us whereby we can express a denial of ourself and a looking to him is through fasting. Would you say that this is an important dynamic? Of course. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, uh, the early church, they were, they were praying, they were worshiping, Worshiping the Lord. And Luke says, and they were fasting. It seemed to be that part of their worship would include fasting. Worshiping the Lord. I'm praising Him. I'm adoring Him. I'm acknowledging Him. But also, fasting is an expression of seeking Him. Lord, I'm going to worship You and fast. Again, the question still comes up, will I get anything? Yes, yes, you will get something. But God wants you to understand that you are to be motivated out of a desire and love for Him simply to go after a closer walk with Him. Again, from the prophet Joel, chapter 1, verse 14, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Again, it's an acknowledgement of Him. It's a crying out to God. It's a seeking after a closer walk with Him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Fasting is an external physical expression of a person's humbling him or herself before God. In the Old Testament, the idea of afflicting oneself was a demonstration of a humbled soul. So I'm going to deliberately humble myself 
through this act of fasting. Now, in our Western society, in our Western culture, our Western mindset, sometimes it's very, very difficult to make the connection. Well, how does this, how does this an expression of humbling myself? Start fasting and you'll learn. You'll learn. Don't try to figure it all out ahead of time, albeit I'm trying to give you some rationale to explain this. But nonetheless, you really learn in the process of doing, don't you? In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, that passage speaks of fasting as denying oneself. Those are, those are alternative translations. If you look into the verse itself, you'll see that uh, there's a marginal note that, that talks about denying oneself equivalent to fasting. It's afflicting yourself. It's humbling yourself. Same principle. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, again, equates fasting with the humbling of themselves. In fact, Israel will look at that passage a little more closely in a few minutes. But Israel asks God this question, Why have we fasted and you've not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not done anything? So in their minds, they would equate fasting with humbling themselves. Fasting with afflicting themselves. In Psalm 35, verse 13, the psalmist says, I humbled myself with fasting. Very, very important dynamic throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. It was practiced in Israel, not only as an expression of a humbled soul, but also of a dependent soul. We are utterly dependent upon God, aren't we? Really, I mean, a lot of times just in, a, in, the, in our everyday life, we, we don't hardly think about that. And every once in a while you stop, and, 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 and especially when you take time to fast. In other words, you bring your, your, your life to a screeching halt, and you stop, and you spend this time in fasting and prayer, focusing on God. All of a sudden, you become aware again of how much, you need him and how important he is in your life. And in fact, you are dependent on him. Israel in preparation, or Moses, I should say, in Exodus chapter 34, in preparation for conversation with God, fasted. Remember, he went up on the mountain and spent 40 days and 40 nights. Didn't fast, didn't drink anything for that entire period of time. Human beings can't live that way. We need water after three days. We need food after uh, 10, to two, 10 days to two weeks. But this is a supernatural, absolute fast. However that was accomplished, God enabled or whatever, the point is, is that Moses fasted before the Lord, and then God revealed his word to him. Isn't that marvelous? Moses had a conversation with God. The same is true of Daniel. The prophet Daniel, chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. And then later in that chapter, uh, beginning of verse 20, the angel Gabriel comes in response to Daniel's prayer and gives him understanding and insight. So we'll fast, and as we fast and seek the Lord, God brings insight. He brings understanding. He opens our mind to His Word. He brings clarity. 
There were people in the Old Testament who were oppressed by great cares. And in the midst of that oppression, they prayed. They fasted. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you recall, had a son by Bathsheba, the result of the adulterous relationship with her. And part of God's discipline of David was to take that son. But while the son still was alive, the text tells us that David fasted and wept for that child for seven days. Again, from the prophet Daniel in chapter 10, Daniel says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. There was a, there was a, a sense of oppression and, and praying intercession for his people and for God's will to be fulfilled. And, and he stood in the gap, so to speak, with prayer and fasting. When there was a threat of danger, a war, Destruction. Uh, in the book of Judges, there's an interesting passage. And uh, this was a, a time when Israel was fighting against their brothers, the Benjamites. In the book of Judges, in chapter 20, let me just read to you, verse 24. And then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. So they, they've been battling their brothers. And... This time, when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Then the Israelites, all the people, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. They asked, Shall we go up again to battle with the Benjamites, our brother, or not? The Lord responded, Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. So there was this conflict between the Israelites and their brothers, the Benjamites. The Benjamites had been whipping them. And so they went back with fasting, interceding and asking God, God, what would you have us do? Are you going to have us go back after them and discipline them? And God says, All right, now you go, and I'm going to give them into your hands. Where there was a threat of war. Notice, the, the, the issue of fasting is right smack in the middle of that passage. How many remember Esther? For such a time as this, right? The most famous verse. Esther called a fast. Again, the Jews of her day living in uh, Babylon were in danger of being killed. Exterminated. And word comes to her through her uncle, and, and he says, uh, you have been, you've been raised up for a time such as this. It's up to you. You've got to go to the king and intercede. Now, she was a queen, but being a queen, she was not allowed, under pain of death, to address the king and to say anything to him unless he addressed her first. She couldn't even go into the, into the court. But she knew the situation was dire. Esther called for a fast. She says, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she's hanging everything on this three-day fast. 
interceding, praying that God would provide, God would take care, God would deliver not only the Jews, but her own life. And we know, of course, what happened. God did. The king showed favor, and the Jews were all saved. In Ezra, the book of Ezra, in chapter 8, Ezra calls a fast. In chapter 8, verse 21. And this was to bring success. Called a fast to bring success for the return of the exiles. Ezra says in verse 21, uh, There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast. I, compra- I proclaimed a fast, know this, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the good hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. In other words, Ezra saying, you know, we're, we need to call a fast and ask for God's help. I bragged on God to the king, and I don't dare go to the king now and ask him for his help because I said our God will take care of us. <laughs> you ever put yourself in one of those positions? You brag on God and say, ooh, wait a minute now. Now I have to really trust him. <laughs> but he calls a fast. And God answered Ezra's prayer. Isn't that marvelous? I think this is encouraging. Now in the course of time, the deeper meaning of fasting uh, as an expression of humility, as an expression of dependence, as an expression of devotion to God, the deeper meaning of fasting was lost. Fasting just became a pious ritual, devoid of any meaning. And the prophets in the Old Testament spoke out against the loss of the real meaning of fasting. Isaiah is a classic example in Isaiah chapter 58. If you know anything about fasting, any reading or studying, this is always uh, one of the most important passages to read. And it's in Isaiah where God doesn't invalidate fasting in general. He invalidates the Israelites' way of going about it. In verse 3, Israel poses a question uh, to God about their fasting. They say, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed So apparently, the Israelites fully expected, as a result of a fast, as a result of humbling themselves, that God would move on their behalf. They had this full expectation. Now, God apparently hadn't done anything. And so the Israelites are questioning God. And God responds to them. And I'm going to paraphrase the response. He says, it's because when you fast, it doesn't affect anything in your life. It doesn't affect anything in your life. Not the way you behave yourself with other people, or even how you pursue the day. You're not involved in prayer. He says, all you're doing is not eating. Not only that, but you go about life in its usual course, including continuing strife with your brothers. It's not a time of repentance. It's not a time of change of attitude towards others and their needs. 
God says to them, in effect, your fast doesn't amount to anything. That's why nothing happens. If you want to get through to me, God says, don't go about it the way you have been. Verses 6 and 7 of that passage basically suggest to us that when you fast, there ought to be spiritual breakthroughs. That's very, very important. When you fast, you don't even have to ask for anything. You don't even have to have any other purpose in mind. It's just that when you fast, you fast unto the Lord, there ought to be spiritual breakthroughs in your life. There are lots and lots of people with uh, strongholds, spiritual strongholds in their life. They can't overcome them. It's a frustration to them. It's a frustration to their family members. It's a frustration to their friends, people who love them and care about them. And they seem absolutely helpless. We don't know what to do. And we, we go and we, we, we use all the weapons of the world, all the resources of, of society, and they really, at best, only do a marginal job to help us when, in fact, we need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Peter says, and God will lift us up in due season. One of those means of humbling is fasting. And if I fast unto the Lord, this is the key again, there ought to be spiritual breakthroughs. A spiritual breakthrough leads to fruitfulness in a person's life that one can see and know. Am I making sense? Fasting is not commending ourselves to God. But fasting is to enable us to truly focus on Him and submit ourselves to Him, to His service, not self-service. Again, it's not about me. It's taking the focus off of me and putting the focus back on Him. Lord, I'm fasting unto You. I'm seeking You. I want a more intimate walk with You. I want to know You more. I'm going to take this time and focus on You. Isn't that marvelous? When a, when a husband takes time to focus on his wife, do you suppose he's going to get blessed in return? Now, the wife knows when he's doing it with, with ulterior motives, right? She's not stupid. <laughs> but again, it's a, it's a function of relationship. When you give yourself, as I give myself to my wife and focus on her, no strings attached. She can't do enough to bless my life. It just works that way. The same principle holds true with our relationship with God. God says, you just seek me. Just show me that you love me. That you want to spend some time with me. Don't come with all the gimmies. I know what you need even before you ask. Just seek me. And, and, and I'll, I will work in your life. You can trust me. Am I making sense? Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 12, God said, Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with sword, famine, and plague. Do you know people whose lives are just going down the tubes? Because they're so self-absorbed. 
and we get in these downward spirals and we can't stop them, only God can stop them, it requires that we just humble ourselves before God and we say, God, I'm here before you, i got nothing to offer, empty hands of faith, I'm yours, do with me as you please. That's the bottom line where it's at. That's what fasting is about. Let me read to you again from the prophet Zechariah, uh, the entire passage here, verse 4 through um, the end of the chapter, 14. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, uh, ask all the people of the land and the priests, uh, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. This is how, this is how everything in their path, the Israelites, because they wouldn't trust God, they wouldn't repent. Everything was desolate. So God says, all right, come on back. Humble yourself with fasting. I'll rectify everything. Isn't that marvelous? See, the prophets, Zechariah, Jeremiah, and such, they weren't condemning fasting. They were condemning the insincerity with which that was practiced. Jesus has the same attitude in Matthew chapter 6. Fasting was... Simply done for external purposes. You recall, he says in verse 16 of Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, notice it's not if, it's when. There was an expectation that the, 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 the Jews of the first century would exercise certain spiritual disciplines. They would pray, they would give, they would fast. So he says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. What a tragedy. I'm going to go through this fast, and because I'm doing it, because I want people to notice how spiritual I am, I just got my reward. Someone noticed. Oh man, that is not going to cut it. What's the matter? What, you, you, you look kind of somber today. Well, I'm fasting today. <laughs> Are you? you just blew it. He says, instead, put oil on your head 
In other words, anoint yourself, wash your face, put on a happy face. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. Because your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He's going to bless you. Why? Because you're, you're fasting as he's meant us to fast, seeking him. Not for men's adulation, congratulations, admiration, respect, and so forth. Oh, Tui, you're so spiritual. I, I know you're fasting today. I'm so impressed. <laughs> fasting is a time for, as we said, personal humbling and repentance. There's a word we don't like, repentance, right? How many know that we're in constant need of repentance? Constantly. Constantly we need to repent of our attitudes, of our stupidity, of our pride, and so forth. Again, the psalmist, Psalm 35, verse 13, I humbled myself with fasting. If you're in need of humbling, if you're in need of repentance, fasting is a great way uh, to begin down that path. Isaiah, again, chapter 58, verse 3 Uh, This idea of equating fasting with humbling. Fasting also is a time for spiritual renewal and recommitment. If your life is in need of spiritual renewal, everything in our life starts spiritually. Say that with me. Everything in our life starts spiritually. We are first and foremost spiritual beings living in these earth suits. And if you want renewal and change in your life, it starts internally. It must start spiritually. It starts with spiritual renewal. It, don't point to other people and say, well, you know, you're the problem. You're the... No, no, it starts with you. You can't justify anything at all before God. All your problems start with you. How many believe that? Oh, not everybody. We want to complain about other people. Well, they're the problem. If I just had so-and-so, if I didn't have it. No, it's you. And so we need renewal. And fasting, interestingly, we don't understand how this works. I don't have a clue how this works. Except that fasting ought to lead to some spiritual breakthrough. And if you're in need of that, then fast. Fasting, again, is not just some external, as Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel. It's internal. And when you fast, a number of dynamics begin to come into play. One of which is that it may be a prompt to abstinence in your life over some issue. Now, I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands of how many many people need to practice abstinence over something. You know who you are. All of us. But fasting can just be a prompt. It can be a door opener to abstinence over something that's got a hold of your life. Fasting can certainly act as a discipline to the flesh. Fasting can ignite a desire for prayer. Because when you fast, you're going to stop and spend time with God. You're going to start talking to God. Prayer simply is conversation with God. It's acknowledging Him, thanking Him, 
worshiping him, praising him, and just talking to him. But fasting will ignite a desire for prayer. And it will also, by the way, testify to repentance. Why? Because I'm fat. Why? Because I, this is an act. I'm humbling myself. I, I'm in need to repent. I want a fresh start. Thirdly, fasting is a time for learning to understand God's will. How many would like to understand God's will better? Yeah. Again, if I can call your attention back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel says, verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And then the next whole section uh, is, is Daniel's prayer. Then at verse 20, he says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen early in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me. And he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for which you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. So here's Daniel in the midst of prayer, repentance, fasting. And an answer is given him. The angel Gabriel comes and gives him insight and understanding. Isn't that marvelous? You want to understand God? You want to understand his will more? I don't know how it fits in, but fasting apparently is connected to it all. There's a fourth thing that fasting is. It's, it's, uh, it's expressing wholehearted devotion to God. Again, effectively, it's a denial of self so that you can express this devotion. Again, quoting the prophet Joel, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity, and who knows, he may turn and have pity. Woo! That sounds cool, doesn't it? So a fast is a means to an end. What end? Simply to bring us closer to God. That's what it's all about anyway. To know Him better, to know His purpose better, not, beloved, to get God to do what we want. Fasting does not change God Fasting should change us. Now, there's a couple other things about fasting that I want to share with you. It can also help us keep our balance in life. How many would say, maybe your life's a bit out of balance? Don't even raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. I don't want to embarrass you too badly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Everything is permissible for me. Yay! But not everything is beneficial. I have terrific freedom in Christ. But there's some things that are really not going to be beneficial, so I don't want to go there. He says, Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Wow. Ask yourself this question. Am I body-ruled 
or am I spirit ruled? Am I body ruled or am I... You know, today we, we live in a society where everybody's body ruled, aren't they? I mean, it's body beautiful this, body beautiful that. I want to have a beautiful body. I want to get rid of my section. I want to look attractive for my wife. Are we body ruled or are we spirit ruled? When I fast, my body doesn't tell me what to eat. I tell my body what to eat. What a novel idea. When I fast and my body says, feed me, I say, no. (laughs) But I'm hungry. I don't care. I'm giving you the day off. I'm giving you the day. You know, I was at, I went to Costco the other day without my wife. Guys, do not go to Costco without your wife. <laughs> Driving over there, I knew I, was, I, was, I, was, I shouldn't have been doing this. I park in the parking lot. I'm walking in. And I can, I can hear the oatmeal raisin cookies calling me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Anybody like those, those big, soft, chewy oatmeal raisins? The big box? You know, 400 cookies in that thing. And I, I'm walking in. I said, no, I am not buying those cookies today. I am here to buy toilet paper. <laughs> I'm in the line to pay... I don't know how this happened, but there's a box of those oatmeal raisin cookies in my cart. (laughs) But right next to the cookies are two big plastic bottles of Hershey's syrup. (laughs) I got home. I ate four cookies and a big glass of ice-cold chocolate milk. My body went, let's have some cookies and milk. Terrible. Disgusted with myself. So fasting can help us keep our balance in life. It's a good thing I'm calling a fast. <laughs> Secondly, fasting helps reveal what controls us. You know the biggest problem of what controls us? Our pride. Our pride. Not me. I'm humble. <laughs> right. Our pride. Fasting can reveal what really controls us. It's pride that leads to anger. Pride that leads to bitterness, jealousy, strife. And these things surely will surface during a fast because of the stress of hunger. Oh, 
I need my coffee. It's biochemical. Some things to remember. Number one, are my motives right? Is there a hidden desire to impress others? Remember Jesus said, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Number two, what are my spiritual objectives in this fast? First and foremost, simply to draw close to God. Simply to draw close to God. There can certainly be a personal sanctification as a goal. Intercession, we're going to be praying for our missions teams. Any special burdens, desire for God's wisdom and insight over something. Spiritual fullness to bring renewal and or revival. But all of those, all those are subject to seeking God first, drawing close to Him. Thirdly, do my objectives tend to be self-centered? Is my desire for personal blessing balanced by genuine concern for others? Remember Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And number four, Am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? Am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? Beloved, if our fasting is not unto the Lord, we have failed. You can have all these good reasons, all these good rationale, all these good motivations, but they can cloud the genuine, real reason, that is to draw close to the Lord, to minister to Him, whether our goal be physical benefits, whether they be success in prayer, spiritual insights, whatever, they must never replace God as the center of our fasting. Amen? All right, now one last thought, actually two. Uh, in the book of Acts, you might want to note this verse, the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 32. This is the first century church. This is what characterized that early church. Luke writes, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, what do you suppose that means? They had a common purpose, common goal. They were together. There was no one, these people weren't all doing their own thing. So I want to encourage you, I want to urge you, let's be together. Let's be of one heart, one mind, let's join together Tuesday evening through Wednesday evening, if this is your church, if you care about what God does here, that you draw close to the Lord through fasting and prayer for that period of time. Seek God, trusting that He is going to do the things that He deems necessary in our lives and the life of our congregation. Subsidiary to that, we can certainly pray for our missions outreaches, but more than anything else, seek the Lord. Okay? And then Wednesday evening, when you go to mini church, take communion together. Break your fast with communion. If you're not in a mini church, we have lots of mini churches out in the hallway. There's a, a rack full of cards. Find one clear by your house. Go to that mini church. Join with them and, and break the fast with communion. Amen? 
Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your provision. Lord, you are gracious in so many things to us. All you want us to do is trust you and draw close to you. And you promised to meet all of our needs. You promised to do everything in our life that we cannot do. Simply it's to draw close. Part of that, Father, you've revealed to us, is that we repent, that we humble ourselves before you. Not come in pride and arrogance and foolishness. Not come in insincerity, but genuineness, genuine contriteness, openness. Lord, help us to understand these things as we anticipate uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this next week. Father, thank you. We love you this morning. You are a good God, and you are worthy of our true devotion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor, encourage them about the fast. Bless them, and if you know them real good, give them a hug and a kiss, maybe. Let's stand together and sing His praises before we dismiss.